Hi and welcome to the Club Dub Football Podcast. You've joined us for the Pick Um Show where Rob, JB and Aldrin pick their likely winners from the week's biggest ties and let them into the most exclusive club in football, Club Dub. Anyway, less talk and more action. On with the show. Welcome to the Club Dub Football Podcast, where the only question is, does your team make it into the club? Can he get in? No, he cannot! Hey, hey! That was my my Krusty the Clown introduction. I'm sure that's probably trademarked. I shouldn't have said that. Did you like it? I thought it was high energy. Feels like high energy is needed as we head into week 15 of all things NFL. Um, The difference is going to be made over the next few weeks. I know that when we're recording the podcast next week, we'll have Christmas games that are coming up. And look, there's still a lot of football to be played. But I think for a lot of teams now, half an eye is on the playoffs and beyond. A number of fan bases are beginning to dream. And we're going to pick out a couple of games that... um, could have a real impact on just who we see where and why. So, um, gentlemen, feeling up for uh, picking out the games of the week and seeing who moves past the metaphorical velvet rope into the world-famous Club Dub. Let's do it. Right. Okay, nice. So before I let you guys loose and throw you in to the great NFL tundra, um, there's a little bit of business to do this week in the form of the greatest quiz question in podcasting so it's time for the latest round of no google all noodle and um as has been the way i'm going to give a question where both of you can have guesses rather than one person know it one person not and so on and so forth so if you've been listening in recent weeks you'll know i'm going to give you some multiple choices and then whoever gets closest with their answer So this week's question is about retired jerseys. So I want to know who has the most retired jerseys in the current um, NFL active 32 franchise format. And I'm also going to ask as a tiebreaker of sorts, potentially how many they have now to pick out your winner. I'm going to give you the choice of two famed franchises. I want to know who has the most retired jerseys in the NFL. Is it the Dallas Cowboys or is it the Chicago Bears? And then if you get that right, it's going to be decided by who gets closest to the actual jersey number. So remember, if you're playing along in the pod, the basic idea of no Google or Noodle is you've got to come up with the answers yourselves. Do not rely on the internet for support. And I'll be making sure that neither of my podcast contributors break any of those rules too. So there's your poser. I'll come back for the answer towards the end. Um, But for now, Aldrin, why don't you kick us off and throw us into where you think the most action is going to be had in the NFL's week 15. I've got one for the Thursday night game and it's the 49ers against the Seahawks. And I think it's a really interesting matchup because, you know, for all of the, um, not hype, but, you know, all of the praise that Geno Smith's got this season for how he's really stepped up and he's, um, he's kind of taken the, the Seahawks offense to a different level than maybe they've seen the last year or two. Um, 
they come off a pretty devastating loss to the Carolina Panthers, who basically just ran the ball down their throat for the entire game. Um, and on the flip side of that, you've got the 49ers, who we kind of touched on on the Tuesday show, but who come off an absolutely demolishing victory against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in what was Brock Purdy's first start. So I just think it it poses a really great matchup. And, you know, the Seahawks are now in a position where they've got that kind of wildcard slot, but really don't have any wiggle room. You know, they can't make big mistakes. They can't lose lots of games. Um, yet they come up against the team that's in ridiculously strong form despite a number of injury problems. And I think when you are the San Francisco 49ers, and you have Christian McCaffrey, and you see the performance that the Carolina Panthers put on the the Seahawks run game, which I think is one of the ranked worst in the league, you must be feeling pretty confident because even without Debo Samuel, the 49ers still have a really strong run game. You know, whoever comes in traditionally, they've always had a really strong run game, regardless of the pieces involved. Flip side of that is they've now got McCaffrey, and then you've also got Brock Purdy, who put in an absolutely stellar performance against what must be said is a pretty good Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense. You know, they're they're not easy pushovers, and he put up what thirty odd points on that team. I mean, it was a, a heck of a performance. Um, so I think it'll be really interesting, coupled with the fact that the Seahawks are really struggling in the run game. You know, injury problems have continued to mount, which I hate to say it, but has been a real hallmark of their run, their their running backs room the last couple of seasons. You know, they've not been able to keep anybody healthy. Um, and despite the stellar season that um, Kenneth Walker's having, he's missed time, you know, in fits and spurts. And again, he's questionable this week. So you know, it ends up looking like Travis Homer will be the lead back, which, you know, typically he's the pass catching running back. Um, but not only that, the 49ers defense is absolutely lights out at the minute. You know, they're keeping teams to, you know, 200, 220 yards in the passing game, you know, over the last four or five games, I think. And, you know, that's been the Seahawks strength recently is that, Geno Smith has been able to find Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf and others and move the chains and make touchdowns. But that's going to be a real heck of a task against what is a really stout 49ers defense, coupled with the fact that there'll probably be a non-existent run game makes it a little predictable. So, you know, I, I think it'll be really tough for them. Yeah. A few things. I mean, probably since, the Marshawn Lynch days, you know, that that whole running back BYOB, you know, the be your own blocker style of running, you know, where they, they run hard rather than um, run through a scheme. I mean, it, it certainly does wear a bit of the tread on the tyres of those running backs, doesn't it, to um, steal a, a phrase from Le'Veon Bell. And the Seahawks are in a funny position because after such a feel-good story this season, it could all kind of fall away in the next few weeks. And I think if it does fall away, there are a few things. Because you know what? Four weeks in, when Geno Smith had the best four 
you know, a four game run in terms of passer rating and completion percentage in, in NFL history and, and all of those types of things. It felt like this story was, was really kind of building momentum and the Seahawks were somewhat of a surprise, but also a, a genuine success story. If that doesn't end up happening, there are questions about, I mean, I'd say there are questions about the coach, but but ultimately he's been there so long, it feels like he, he ultimately runs the organization. But of course, there could also be questions about Geno Smith himself. He's in a contract year. He's put up the type of numbers that means I think he would have some kind of market. So the Seahawks have to look at this and go, well, look, are we paying him the big bucks? Are we are we keeping him as a bridge guy and, and maybe looking to bring someone else in behind him? I mean, so many questions for Seattle that actually, look, if they can end the season well and get into the playoffs, I think a few of those could most definitely melt away. But yeah, as much as I think they need to end on a high, surely the 49ers is a, a step too far. The 49ers just have too much. You know, and, and when you've got an offense like that, when you can limit other teams to, like you say, 200 and a bit of change in the passing game, it just gives you every chance. But you know what? Divisional football, weird things happen every week. And I wouldn't be amazed to see the Seahawks put on the performance of the season against the arch rival 49ers either. I really like this as a game. Not not just because I think I like the prospect of Seahawks and 49ers because I think there's always some promise there, but just because at the start of the season, if we were talking about the week 15 divisional game between those two teams and it being the third string quarterback for the 49ers going up against Geno Smith for the Seattle Seahawks, you've got to think, well, something disastrous has gone wrong for both teams for, for those to be the stats. When in actual fact both teams have overperformed like the Seahawks to a massive degree because like we, we don't need to to delve into it yet again but like that that constant discussion of who won the trade who won the Russell Wilson trade the Broncos or the Seahawks every day it feels more and more like the Seahawks won that trade um Gino has maybe come I don't say crashing back down to earth, but he has sort of approached maybe a bit more of the expectation, but I think Aldrin's right to kind of call out the loss of Kenneth Walker. I think once he left the lineup, that was when Gino really started to struggle. And I think he is one of those quarterbacks um, similar to like Orion Tannehill who functions best when the pressure and expectation aren't on them, when they've got a run game that that is kind of the selling point of the offense and they're there for like a pickup duty, then I think they you really see the best that they can have. Um the the 49ers, I think though, are the class of of that division. And if it wasn't for the Eagles, would maybe be at the moment be the class of the NFC. Um like absolutely i think i can't remember which of you have said but like firing on all cylinders like absolutely hitting form exactly the time that you would want to see it that defense is fierce scary dominant like whatever adjective you want to apply to it they are absolutely in control and the offense looks lights out whether it's trey lance brock purdy jimmy garoppolo or like what 50 odd year old Joe Montana, you could probably put him in there and they'd probably still get a couple of touchdowns. I'd never, never bet against Joe. Um, Aldrin, you picked this game, so I'm going to throw this one to you. Is there a chance, though, that the Seahawks having to throw 
might end up being to their benefit. I mean, everything they've asked Geno Smith to do this season, he's absolutely been up to that task and more. And I think, I mean, Tyler Lockett, an absolutely brilliant touchdown at the weekend. I think they still do have a great receiver, a massively underrated receiver room in Seattle. Is there a chance that actually them taking the breaks off the passing game might see them land on a formula that takes them way beyond the 49ers and into a deep postseason run? I think there's a chance purely because I I kind of disagree with JB a little bit. You know, I don't think Gino has um, particularly struggled. I know he, he threw a pair of interceptions on the weekend, but generally speaking, he's been throwing for over 250, 300 yards and multiple touchdowns each week. You know, I, I certainly don't think he's the problem. You know, I think the last three weeks they've scored 24 points or more. It's the defense that is their massive weak point. Um, and ultimately, I think that's what will cost them and not the play of the offense or Geno Smith. Right. The unstoppable force, the immovable object, division game. First off, it's got prime time window as well. Um, why don't you wrap up then, Aldrin, and tell us who is going beyond the velvet rope into club dub and why? Well, I think it's no surprise that the absolutely lights out San Francisco 49ers are going into the club dub this week. Still the greatest music in all of podcasting. Um, But then, of course, we're still the greatest, you know, best kept secret in all of podcasting. So it's all relative. Um, The 49ers, probably the informed team in the league, are probably the first unsurprising entrant into Club Dub this week. Um, JB, where are you taking us and uh, what might this game come down to? Well, we are paying another visit to the NFC Beast. Uh, because we are going to talk about the New York football giants and the Washington commanders. And again, kind of like we talked, I talked about with the, the 49ers and the Seahawks, it feels weird to be talking about December football for both of those teams. And it feeling relevant from the giants point of view. I think it's a good season, but I think you, you pro- especially in New York, you're probably tinging this with a little bit of disappointment considering how the Giants started to now be sat at, what is it, 7-5-1? and one. Um, it, it's, it's not matched kind of the heady heights of the beginning, but then I think it was always that the team was overperforming expectations rather than the team being unexpectedly talented at what they were doing. But it's still a great first year for Brian Dabble and to still be in the conversation for playoffs is has got to be a dream for a Giants fan. From the commander's point of view, everything for me turned when they brought in Taylor Heineke. Like, Rod, you know, Ron Rivera being the latest head coach to think I can solve Carson Wentz, you know, we can, we can get him playing was, was brave and it was noble, but I think it was, it was a folly and Heineke's come in and folly. like so many quarterbacks, like, like so many quarterbacks we have talked about this season, he, it's not that he's come in and been amazing. He's come in and been just a clear upgrade on the player that was there previously and 
he's he's made some great throws. There's been some great drama. There have been some great highlights from him. But again, it is just functionally running the offense, actually getting the team going, making the throws that he needs to like. He's he's not done anything spectacular that you wouldn't want a normal quarterback to do. And that's kind of the key because Wentz just wasn't able to do it. And you can see how that's kind of galvanized that commander's team. Um, I think it's really weird that Brian Robinson, to me, should be in the conversation for offensive rookie of the year. But I would also put him in the running for comeback player of the year, because how do you get shot twice, miss, what was it, three or four weeks, and then come back and perform like he did? Like, um we we are thankfully we are not in a situation where we run into to gun crime and gun violence or anything like that. But I can quite categorically say if I was shot twice, I wouldn't be doing anything for a year, let alone putting pads on and running through tackles like he is. So he's been a great find for the commanders. And like we talked about with Geno Smith and the Seahawks, I think having that run game helps any quarterback it helps an average quarterback look spectacular hello kirk cousins and it really helps the team progress through what they need to do um i think it's going to be an interesting game it's going to be a hard hitting game i think these are two teams that that really kind of like lay in these are two teams that can rely on the run and the implications of where this is going to end up in like one team is good. You've got to believe whoever ends up this ends up over the other the other team. So if the Giants lose, the Giants are bottom by the end of the season. If the Commanders lose, the Commanders are bottom by the end of the season. I don't think either of them are going to catch the the Cowboys, or especially not the Eagles. But this is the time to not just stamp your mark on we're going to be a playoff team, but kind of stamp out the chances of the other team. So it would be odd. I mean, there still is the chance that all four of them end up in the the playoffs. And it would be odd, wouldn't it, to go into playoff football as, you know, the fourth ranked team in your division. I think there are signs of life for all four. Um, I think the Cowboys have not lived up to the hype for many years. The Eagles obviously are doing brilliant things. Um, But I think oddly, with it being Commanders Giants, both teams probably circle this as a winnable game right i mean if they've got i think you said it jb it's not just about making the playoffs if they believe they're a credible force and the kind of team that can put a few wins together when it comes to postseason football surely you've got to be the kind of team that puts up a good performance against a commanders or a giants depending on which side you are um i don't know for me the giants have been limited by their receiver room for as much as I like, probably Slayton out of all of them. I think he probably has the most spark. He's also the player who's most prone to drop the ball, which I think is massively frustrating where we're getting to the point in the season where you need your big players to make the big plays. But also I think Saquon Barkley, I I don't know, the guy's had a stellar year, but can he keep it up? Are these kind of quiet weeks that might creep in kind of telling for a guy who hasn't put a full season together probably ever in his NFL career. Is this all just beginning to feel a bit much for the giants? Do you think Um, it's a tough one to call, but I'm with you one that definitely has a significant impact on the outcome of both of these team seasons. Yeah. I mean, I think I'll keep my views light because I broadly agree with everything you've said. I think 
for the Giants. The talent deficit has just caught up with them. You know, I think particularly receiver, um, they've really struggled. And the defense, albeit pretty good, can't win every game and they and they need better performances from the likes of Daniel Jones and like you said, Slayton and Sills and others, you know, nameless receivers. Um for the commanders, I think they're activating Wentz back off IR, but he's going to serve as the backup, isn't he? So I think that's been pretty clear. And I think we all knew that was going to be the case anyway. Um, I like Heineke, but again, I think we've seen enough of him over the last couple of years to know that he has a very particular ceiling. And yeah, I don't know how far he can take them. I think I'm totally with you on Robinson. I think the guy's ridiculous. Um the way he came back and just immediately jumped into the game and was back at a hundred percent was incredible. Um, but yeah, I think they're just missing a few pieces as well. So like you say, it's difficult to call. As Liam Neeson would say, Heineke has a very specific set of skills. The only thing I would say before I'm handing back to you, JB, is that specific set of skills was really the right set to make them the only team this year that have so far beaten the Philadelphia Eagles. And that is no mean feat at all to keep the Eagles offense off the field the way they did um, in prime time. So a game that's got a lot hanging on it, you know, makes it exciting. A divisional game, two very evenly matched teams. I think it's got everything you would want to make it a real standout, a real classic if both teams turn up. But which team are you putting into club dub and why well washington commanders fans stand up and make way because we need to usher the new york giants into club dub as much as i built that with a mystery yeah, I was going to say, I like, I like the slight misdirection, JB. As much as I built that up as kind of a 50-50 coin flip game, surely not. You think the Giants are going to beat the Commanders? Yes. Oh, crikey. Wow. All right. Um, and yet somehow I'm still bottom of our uh, prediction league. It's just a mystery to me and I'm sure everyone else who's listening. But two teams in means one still to go. And I wrestled quite a bit with which game I was going to pick. And I'm going to just kind of mention briefly the one that I didn't go for. Um, really, because I think to have not mentioned them the last week in the recap show says what a brilliant week it must have been elsewhere. And to not really have mentioned them in a few weeks, despite the fact they, like the commanders, have put a real run on, I nearly picked the Lions Jets for very similar reasons, actually, to you know, um, Seahawks 49ers, Aldrin, in that the Lions oddly look probably about as good a team as there is in football, or maybe half a step back from the likes of the 49ers and the Eagles all of a sudden. And they kind of look like the team that if they could get in, they could really cause a few upsets. That that receiver room looks stellar, doesn't it? Oh, I mean, Amon Ross and Brown, and, and also what they were able to do this weekend without relying on their two running backs, particularly without Swift, you know, in the the middle of the field. I mean, it just says that all of a sudden they've got depth, they've got guys who could come in. So the fact we're not talking Lions, Jets, 
is incredible. I mean, I'm sure if Phil was here, it would have been our fourth game, right? It's going to be a really good one. But I'm going to go the other way. So the game I am going to talk about is another game that potentially has playoff implications, but another game that tells us a lot about who's a contender and who's a pretender. I've gone for the Cowboys visiting the Jacksonville Jaguars. So Detroit Lions, hold your breath. I'll be back with you, I'm sure, in only a few days' time on the recap show. But the reason I've gone for Jags against Cowboys is I said this earlier in the season, it's amazing when a good team gets a narrow victory, all of the problems they are having somehow get forgotten. You know, the fact that they got the W, even though they didn't play well, carries some kind of credence with it and, and kind of carries a team and a story on. The Dallas Cowboys at the weekend were pretty hopeless. I mean, the way that they looked after the ball in their half of the field with the type of talent they have, particularly in the passing game and a quarterback of the talent of Dak Prescott seemed really lazy, really like they just weren't with it. And I appreciate, you know, turnovers can change games and turnovers can happen in the blink of an eye. But even when they did turn the ball over, it felt like that confidence that they seemed to be using in the fourth quarter against the Colts the week before just disappeared. We've talked a lot this season about um, scoreboard pressure. It's amazing when you're all of a sudden you're behind by a score or maybe two scores, how it can fundamentally affect the way you play the game, how easy plays suddenly become impossible, when third and short suddenly become more of a difficulty than a convenience. And for me, the question mark is, which Cowboys are we going to get down the stretch? Have they maybe lost a bit of their mojo? albeit having enough to get past the Texans? Or will we start to see the signs that maybe things aren't going quite as well in Dallas as Cowboys fans might have us believe? So that's one side of things. The second thing is, if you just had enough to beat a dreadful Texans team at the weekend, well, how about a Jags team who, as I said in our recap show, have finally started to pull things together? I think we've seen last weekend from the Jags probably Trevor Lawrence's best performance, multiple touchdowns through the air. Obviously, he was really dangerous on the ground as well in that game. And if I was kind of maybe suggesting that that's what I needed from Lawrence to see his ceiling a little more, a little like we have with Fields in Chicago and a few of the other younger quarterbacks in the league, maybe Sunday was it. I know the Jags have won a couple of close games. They beat the Ravens a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, it, it felt like maybe that could be a turning point. But this weekend felt different because it really was a great performance on both sides of the ball. And for as inconsistent as that Jags offense has been, the defense has also had its off days. I feel if the Jags can perform at the same level as they did last weekend, this weekend, not only would they cause the Cowboys a lot of problems, I think they cause any team in the NFL a lot of problems. And for as much as, you know, the runs that they might put together might not lead them to a glittering year this year, I think considering all of the turmoil they've had, really, it feels like forever, right, in terms of the revolving door of head coaches and quarterbacks and so on and so forth, all of a sudden, I think if the Seahawks are maybe in danger of losing a bit of that feel-good, as you said, Aldrin, are the Jaguars going to be the feel-good story 
of the end of the season, the one that carries all that hype through the off-season and maybe having us think there's a bright future ahead for the guys in Duval County. Um, I just think the Cowboys need to be better. I just think the Jags need to keep up what they found last weekend, and I'm going to be really excited to see which one of those two things happens because I think it's pretty unlikely we'll get both. Yeah, I mean, I think... The one thing for me about the Cowboys' performance the other night was, it, I mean, it was dreadful. They were totally out of whack. Nothing went right. The Texans, I mean, I hate to say it, but they weren't even good. You know, there was still ridiculous inconsistencies, mistakes on their their side, as we're kind of used to seeing this year. But again, I, I kind of make the point, they got the win in the end, and, and that's kind of all you need to do. I think if they'd if they'd failed on that last minute drive and not got the win, I think it would have been a really brutal um, loss to an absolutely dreadful team. As it is, you put it down to an off day, but you still come away with a win and you kind of move on quite quickly. Um, So I think it's easy to kind of move on from that, given that you didn't come away with a loss on the other side. I mean, the Jags were incredible. I think Lawrence had three passing touchdowns and a rushing touchdown. And I would absolutely agree it was his best performance of his, what is fairly young career. And I think they're really starting to set a benchmark for what that team could be in the future. You know, I think when they drafted Trevor Lawrence, the expectation was that he's going to be the guy for the next 15, 20 years. And I certainly think he can absolutely be that. I do think they need to get better at wide receiver. And if they can draft some good receivers, then I think they'll put themselves in a really good spot because as much as people like Zay Jones are kind of leading that wide receiver room, he's not a stellar wide receiver. And I think with a few better players, um, Lawrence might be able to get a bit more out of that. The only other thing I will say is if anyone had Evan Engram going off like he did, then hats off to you because I did not see that coming. But yeah, it was um, two very different games, but I don't think it really changes either team's trajectory for this season all that much. I think I think you're right to to call out Evan Ingram's performance there because who drafted Evan Ingram in fantasy? This guy who had 39 points sat on his bench this week. This guy. Uh, so, yeah, who saw that coming? Um, let's talk about the Jags first because I want to talk about the Jags first because I like the Jags. Um, I I was searching just then trying to find the, the stat line that I saw this week, but I'm pretty sure it's since week nine, Trevor Lawrence has got a 72% completion rate. Um, a He's thrown for 1,200 yards. 12, it's 12 or 1300 yards and it's like a certain number of touchdowns and no interceptions. And that window is exactly the reason why the Jags took him with the number one pick last year. It's exactly the quarterback that you thought you were going to aim. And we've started to see it in the last few weeks of this is the Trevor Lawrence that's there. He's been inconsistent. Like we've talked about struggling as anybody would in what just whatever Urban Meyer had going on last season and then kind of rebounding this year with the the Doug Pedersen pick that we all loved at the time and, and still love now. 
And yeah, it's really nice to see a Jags team that feel like they're going somewhere. Like we, Rob mentioned the Lions earlier on, similar to how the Lions are now. They're, they're franchises that haven't had a lot of luck, but actually feel like there are positives that they're building towards. Um, and I think you're right to kind of call out the wide receiver room is fine. Like Lawrence has done a really good job the last couple of weeks of putting the ball where it needs to be. The um, The win against the Ravens, because I didn't really talk about it a lot when it happened, but that win against the Ravens, those the catches for the touchdown and the two point conversion from, I think it was Marvin Jones got the touchdown and Zay Jones got the two point, or it was the other way around. It was definitely the Jones boys that did it. Those, both of those catches were perfect throws. Like they could not have been put any better. And you can see where they're going with all of it. I think ETN looks great. They've got, like I said, they've got wide receiver gaps. They've maybe got some gaps on defense, but no team is perfect. And that's why you have the off season. That's why we have the draft to progress. Um, conversely, the Cowboys at times feel like they have an embarrassment of riches that Ezekiel Elliott, Tony Pollard sort of double-headed backfield looks unbeatable at times. I think Pollard looks like the cream of, of the duo, but Zeke is flashing elements of of kind of the Zeke that we saw some years ago. I don't know if he's on his way back, he's coming back, or he's just showing that he's still got it at times, but he's he's still in there. And kind of that combo of of Michael Gallup and CD Lamb especially are, are really good along with with Dak. The defense looks good. So I think it is correct that kind of the performance against the Texans felt really out of sorts. And yeah, maybe they were a bit stunned at the beginning by preparing for Davis Mills all week, then getting Jeff Driscoll, then getting Davis Mills in the game, and then Jeff Driscoll. And you're right, like the Texans weren't amazing. The Texans were better. They I think it was the best performance we've seen from them all season, but that doesn't say an awful lot about the Texans. But you're right, that the biggest thing is well, at the end of it, the, the Texans still won. Sorry, the Cowboys still won. Rather, the you, you know the Texans don't get an extra extra points because oh well you ran them close, and the the Cowboys don't get fewer points because oh you know you you nearly lost it. It's like at the end of the day, someone wins, someone loses. The Cowboys found a way to win, and they've done that all season. If they can continue to do that, it's going to be it's going to be real interesting catching them in the playoffs. Yeah. So many questions. Uh, I think you've nailed a lot of it between the two. I think the one-two punch at running back for Dallas, actually, I think the Jags have got a pretty reasonable one-two punch with ETN and and Hazel. ETN still makes, you know, odd mistakes in big moments, but it's all a a part of being a a young, growing team, I guess. Um, As you guys were talking, I did something rather remarkable for me. I haven't done it for a number of weeks. I went into our pick'em sheet and changed my mind. The more we talk, the more I think the team I was going to put in club dub were no longer worthy because I just think things are pointing in the kind of direction where we're going to have the greatest mascot in football celebrating far more on Sunday than he has been for most of the season because the team I'm going to put into club dub is the flashing and rolling Jacksonville Jaguars. I, I absolutely love this pick. I think you're you're 
I love it at the same time. I mean, I'm wrong. I'm, I'm not Giants winning against the Commanders wrong, though. Let's put it in perspective. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not in that kind of mix. I'll leave, I'll leave that one for you. Um, but three great games, the mention of a fourth with Lions-Jets. Sorry, fans, that we have to make some tough calls. But yeah, I'm looking forward to that Lions game as well. Um, but three great games, starting with Thursday Night Football and taking us right through the weekend slate. I think that is an utterly wonderful run. So with three games picked, you know what that means. It's just time to round out our week's podcasting with a bit of any other business. We'll get to where we are uh, ranked in our uh, Pick'em League in just a minute, JB, so make sure you have the figures handy. But before that, let's go back to the toughest quiz question in podcasting. I asked you who had the most retired jerseys um, in NFL history between two of the most storied franchises, the Chicago Bears and the Dallas Cowboys. Aldrin, I'm going to come to you first. Do you think it's the Cowboys or Bears, sir? So I don't know why, but I'm going to go for the Cowboys. Cowboys, says Aldrin. JB, Mm -hmm. Cowboys or Bears? That's good because I was going to go Bears. So I feel like, yeah, we're not nice, nice. Right. So I won't reveal anything just yet. Aldrin, how many retired jerseys do you reckon the Cowboys have? If you have to guess how many numbers? Seven. Seven for the Cowboys. JB, how many for the Bears in your case? Eight. Eight. Right. Okay. And for those of you playing at home in your car, maybe at the gym, wherever you might be listening, time to reveal all. Aldrin, the Dallas Cowboys have no retired jerseys whatsoever. The franchise does not believe in recognizing players by retiring jersey numbers. So the Cowboys have a big fat nil. JB, you're already our winner, but how close do you think you got? How many retired jerseys did you say the Bears have? I mean, eight. I, I, I mean, eight. It was, it, was a, it was a, I mean, it was just one more than Aldrin, really. Well, the remarkable news about the Bears is they are the league leader for a reason. They have 13 retired jersey numbers. So if they keep up at that rate, in the next 20 to 25 years, they won't have enough numbers left to be able to give everyone in the squad a unique one. Um, The Chicago Bears was the correct answer. 13 jerseys, the correct number. But gentlemen, well done. Just congratulations for playing on the toughest quiz question in podcasting. We'll be back next week with more No Google All Noodle. But before we wave goodbye to everybody in listener land, JB, why don't you bring them up to speed with what week 14 gave us all? Well, obviously, fans of the Club Dub Football Podcast will know that the thread for this week's predictions was after a win streak by PB and after a win streak by JB and after Rob Rose taking the win for the first time last week, was this the start of a Rob Rose renaissance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the Robosance. Uh, I can reveal, no, it wasn't. Uh, unfortunately, Rob came bottom again this week with six and seven. Uh, PB and JB were next with seven and six, but Aldrin smashed it with a record of nine and four to take what I had erroneously uh, got wrong in the group chat was his fourth win of the season, which now means Rob Rose one PB four Aldrin four JB 
five. It is still mathematically all to play for because if Rob wins out, it's a tiebreaker that we need to decide between me and Rob. And I've got half a chance because I didn't pick the Giants to beat the Commanders, right? So all things remain possible. Um, but yeah, I, I do think nice. it will be fine, though. I'd, I wouldn't put too much effort into thinking of a tiebreaker, JB. It's fine. Yeah, no, I, maybe let's leave that a couple of weeks and just see if it looks like it's on the cards. I mean, I still feel confident that I could put you in that situation, but let, let's not worry about that right now. Um, but yeah, brilliant work. So uh, remember, anybody in listener land, if you want to play against us, we've had a number of uh, celebrity and listeners playing Club Dub versus the world. Hopefully we'll have that back in a big way for the playoffs. But remember, you can email us at clubdubpodcast at mail.com and also get in touch through our various social channels. But gentlemen, I think when it comes to recap and pick them week 14 into 15, when it comes to our pods, we are two for two. Wonderful to have your company again. And let's get back together next week where we'll be edging ever closer to those famed Christmas Day games. Thanks for your company, gents. Let's get back in a week and do it all again. Cheers, Rob. Duval. This is amazing. Remember to subscribe and be cool. Tell your friends.